Hello, listeners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to Cloud Ninefin. I'm Will Cager Smith, your host for this week's podcast, in which we're focusing on the US leveraged finance market. Two weeks ago, we broke with our usual format and had an in house discussion about the war in Ukraine and its impact on global markets. This week, we're back on our regular schedule with a guest interview. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Melanie Hanlon, Head of Credit Research at Napier Park Global Capital. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Will, and I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. So as I mentioned, it was only a couple of weeks ago that I sat down with Stephen, our CEO, for a pretty sobering conversation about some of the ways that Russia's invasion of Ukraine might affect markets. Since then, it feels like a lot of the potential issues we discussed have become a reality in Europe, but maybe not so much in the US. Um, Issuance costs have definitely risen significantly here. There have been huge outflows from high yield funds. Leveraged loans have become significantly less popular and CLO creation is quite sluggish. But somehow the primary market hasn't shut down totally like it has in Europe. So I'd like to start off by asking, do you feel like there's a disconnect here? Should primary maybe be struggling more than it is? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I think the pace of new issuance is actually a bit slower since the conflict started. And some of the new issues that we saw right out of the box after the conflict started were actually add-ons for well-known issuers. Um, and these were well-received and, and well-placed. Um, We also saw some of the issuers coming to market that were more insulated from the conflict, and hence with CLOs and other market participants still looking to put some money to work, uh, there was demand for those loans. Um, I would say, though, that one thing we are definitely seeing is a much slower syndication process. So while before syndication process would build very quickly right out of the gate. Now we're seeing lenders take more time, do their work, assess the risks and the economics of the transactions. Uh, Then a lot of deals still build in demand and get syndicated successfully. But you also we're also seeing more of the difficult transactions struggle a bit. Um, And in my opinion, those are the transactions that can be the more of the interesting ones for us as lenders, uh, because they're the ones where we can have more of a say on the documentation, the reporting requirements, and obviously, as you alluded to, the all-important spread and OID levels. Um, so these are the transactions that get reworked a bit more, and but there again, a lot of these are ultimately getting placed successfully. You know, one other thing I'd probably bring up is that some of the M and A that's being done is attractive, especially if they're in sectors more insulated or less impacted by the conflict, because that can be really good paper to own, and it's obviously coming at more attractive levels now. So. Of the various factors putting pressure on markets, the war in Ukraine definitely feels like the most severe. I mean, aside from the immediate humanitarian impact, which is just awful to witness, it seems clear that there will be some pretty long term economic damage. We're already talking about a potential recession in Europe, for example. So 
Where do you see the major implications of the conflict in the US leveraged loan universe and why? When I think about the leveraged loan universe and where the implications will be, um, I'm thinking that most of the major impacts will come in the second and third derivative of the issue. And why I say this is when the conflict first started, we had looked through our entire portfolio uh, looking for issuers with direct exposure to Ukraine or Russia. And in our work, we actually found that there were very few Im- issuers that were, were directly impacted. In many ways, I think the U.S. loan market is still very domestically focused, and the international aspects tend to come in more via Western Europe and broader input costs and supply chain issues. The few issuers that we found that had direct exposure to Ukraine or Russia, it was in most cases less than 5%. Um, whether that was in revenues or assets. And and at the same time, we found that that impact was largely mitigatable to other factors, like the company had very low leverage, strong liquidity, or they were able to ship the product that they were selling into those areas elsewhere. So I think where it's going to become really more impactful uh, for us in the U.S. loan market is through the rising input costs um, that can't cannot be passed on to the end consumer, whether that consumer is the actual customer or the intermediate uh, business. Some examples uh, that we've seen of rising input costs for the companies we follow is through packaging companies. Many of these companies definitely have pass-through agreements, but a lot of those pass-through agreements have a three to six month lag. So there will definitely be that immediate margin impact with a lagged catch-up effect. Another area uh, where, we, where we'd where we see rising input costs would be in food names. And there again, uh, there is obviously a lot of pass-throughs there as well, whether it's in pass-through agreements or just passing through price increases to their customers, which helps mitigate any of the cost increases from wheat. I think these are some of the, you know, the big points to watch. Anything, you know, oil, um, any pass-throughs from oil, like I mentioned with the resin or pass-throughs from wheat onto food, um, those are the issues. But at the same time, clearly also looking for opportunities that this conflict has created for names where we feel that they're just oversold or we feel like it's created in certain value in certain names that maybe are just less impacted by the the conflict. So I think, you know, as a manager in this environment, you can really be active and just look for opportunities to improve the credit quality of of your portfolios. Can you talk about some of the some of the areas where you see value has been created? You know, one of the areas where we're definitely uh, seeing value or and or opportunity is I think in the new issue market where you see new issue paper coming out at let's say a 96 97 OID for a B1 B2 credit I think that could be a great swap opportunity to get out of a B3 that might be trading in that same in that same context context right now um so I think that that is certainly one opportunity. And we've also um, just seen some selling of large, more liquid loans. Um, and oftentimes those just get get more of a, a depressed price. And sometimes you can add value there as well. So inflation is becoming more and more palpable by the day. I'm sure we can all attest to that. And in a lot of the upcoming deals that we've been previewing here at Ninefin, margin compression is a major headwind and something that seems to have been 
or will be kind of significantly exacerbated by the conflict in Europe. So how are you managing the impact of that in your portfolio? We've historically been lighter on the energy and metals and mining industries. So we're seeing a lot of direct, uh, much less direct impact um, from producers in those in those industries. And I would say in large part, the loan market as a whole is also lighter weighted towards those industries. Um, and I think a lot of that was was the aftermath of the 2015-2016 issue and the, the subsequent fallout. I think where the impact is really going to come through for the companies in the leveraged loan market are the are those that consume those materials in their products. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, one one thing that we've done is we've rotated out of the, the packaging sector in some in some former fashion definitely brought that industry holdings uh, holdings down because we felt like they were beneficiaries of the excess demand during the pandemic and now they were losing that and at the same time they were also going to have the headwind of the the higher costs. Um, I think one place where we've sort of moved to ad exposure is in software names because we feel that those those names are more insulated and they'll likely fare better in the current environment. They're less exposed to input costs and supply chain disruptions, and we feel like they have the wherewithal to deal with any rising labor costs in the U.S. Another area that I think that you can find value and get away from some of the margin compression are names that are still left to benefit from the COVID reopening trade, names that are more in- insulated from direct input cost inflation, so like lagging names in consumer services or leisure names, um, where people would be more apt to try to frequent uh, those those types of businesses post-pandemic. And speaking of upcoming deals, there was a kind of mini flurry of LBOs announced just before the war broke out. Novalex is one of those. We published a deep dive on that credit earlier this week, which I highly recommend listeners read. Um, there was also Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, Tenneco, MoneyGram, and Given that these were all underwritten before the conflict, do you think they present an opportunity for the buy side to push for better terms? I mean, you mentioned earlier how primary can maybe offer some some opportunities. Um, But do you think there's an opportunity for the buy side to push for better terms over and above the, the wider pricing that the market is now demanding? I think one of the the main determinants on the ability to press uh, push for better terms are the timing of the deals. So if the and how long the conflict takes to play out. So if you see these deals needing to come while we are in this current environment, I think you're definitely going to see um, the ability to get more beneficial or advantageous terms on these transactions. Um, You know, I I think, you know, as we discussed already, one of the great places to look is, you know, where secondary prices are trading to understand where where a deal would have to come to clear on the primary. And, you know, right now, the average secondary price is around 96. Um, So obviously, that's, you know, where a deal would have to come. I also think the new issue 
transactions have to come a little bit wider on, on spread. I think we've been seeing uh, spread widening of 50 to 75 basis points. Um, but I, I have to say that um, the OID is probably really the most important for CLO managers because without uh, CLO creation, a lot of participants are selling other loans to buy, uh, to buy the new issue transactions. And that's where the OIDs become more important. Um, as I mentioned earlier, also, we're seeing the syndication process taking a little bit longer. So that allows participants to really comb through the transactions, comb through the documentation. And it is in these types of situations where the syndication is going slower that as, a, as an investor, you have the chance and the opportunity to really make a difference. Uh, to to put your comments in on the documentation, to put your comments in on the reporting requirements, and to to get some some real changes because the syndication process is taking longer, and and the banks are more inclined to take comments to get people in the deals. Okay, and you mentioned that you know the the fact that loans are trading significantly lower in the secondary, the way that one source put it to me the other day was that 96 is the new par um so obviously loans have, have taken a hit over the past couple of weeks and the index is at its lowest level since last january now um but do you think there's a chance that the technical tailwind from earlier this year namely rising interest rates will kind of come back and boost demand like it did um just a few weeks ago where there were these huge inflows into into loan funds yeah i i personally think that loans generally benefit in any rising rate environment um, because of their obvious floating rate aspect. So I think the technical tailwinds can come back and play a role again. I feel like they're just being temporarily overweighed by all the other issues that we're, we're talking about. But the one thing that we can't forget as loan market participants is that the market is extremely reliant on CLOs and CLO creation. And we've definitely seen a slowdown in the, the CLO market as well. You know, there are warehouses open, but a lot of the warehouses are not buying in the current environment because the obvious takeout of a, of a CLO is not cl as clear anymore. And the warehouses can be mark-to-market vehicles in some cases. Um, you know, so those are, I would say, those are two of the major bottlenecks that are probably overtaking the inflows due to rates. Another issue that, that we've been seeing and that's increasingly being talked about uh, are ETF outflows, which the market has been subject to in recent days, which uh, causes weakness and puts potential uh, real buyers uh, on the sidelines because they don't want to step in and buy something and then see the price price go lower. So we're really watching, you know, overall flows to make sure that they remain at, at, that, at manageable levels. And, you know, if they do, and then once the conflict resolves, I think you'll see the, the CLO machine pick up again, or perhaps you could see some print and sprint deals that want to take advantage of advantageous levels. Then you could see loans uh, regain their footing and quickly begin to benefit from the technical tailwind of the rising rate environment again. 
And have you seen much of an impact on loan liquidity as a result of all of this volatility? That's a great question and something that we're always concerned about and always talking about as market participants. Um, and I also think that that's a, a good question to think about because it also underscores the importance of, of credit work and, and looking for early warning signs if you want to sell a name. But um, to really answer the question, I think loans definitely still remain liquid even in the face of increased volatility, but often in, in smaller bite sizes uh, than we may like for the most part. Um, and it's especially difficult to move any loan in, in large size in a volatile time. And I think, you know, one of the strategies that we follow is we try to run diversified portfolios, which clearly helps um, in the times of, you know, lower bid sizes. And when I talk about lower bid size, I, I really am talking about the market still being open, but you're talking about two to three million markets rather than maybe a five to 10 million market. You know, to this point also, I think the loan market has come a long way in the last, call it, you know, 10 to 20 years, but I think it has a, a you know, a little bit more to go um, to be a, a really liquid market. And I think it's also impacted um, by the time of the month that this that we are having this conversation, because I think the trading the bank's trading desks are a little bit in a risk off position at the moment, which makes it uh, more challenging for for participants. And that is further compounded by what we're seeing of the the lower CLO creation. So you have fewer natural buyers. So should you have a real motivated seller, I think you can see a lot of pressure on on a loan's price. But at the same time, um, ultimately, this could create really good buying opportunities. And, you know, as long term market participants, I've definitely seen it go both ways. Like, there's, there's not you feel like there's not a lot of of liquidity as a name goes down. But then at the same time, when it reverses, um, you know, there might not be a lot of liquidity as it goes back up. And you know, at the end of the day, what I take a lot of comfort in is that, you know, CLO vehicles are less sensitive to mark to market issues. So if you're confident in your credit work, you can hold you can hold names that you're comfortable with uh, through this volatility and a return to a more normal trading environment. I want to end by talking briefly about the evolution of ESG and credit. I forget who said it exactly, but there was a quotation recently about how this conflict in between Russia and Ukraine is the first war in the ESG era. Do you think what's going on in Europe right now will accelerate or decelerate the adoption of ESG among credit investors? Right now, um, in terms of the pace of adoption, I feel like so much of the groundwork has been laid for ESG. Uh, firms have joined the UNPRI agreement. Uh, firms, including ourselves, have put policies and procedures in place. And, you know, we've just started to think about ESG as just part and parcel with our credit work. So, um, you know, I feel like it, it would be difficult to do a complete reversal, um, despite, you know, what we're dealing with. Um, you also have to think about, you know, for the CLO market, a lot of ESG provisions have been hard-coded into deal indentures, and these cannot be removed without amendments. Um, and then our investors are also very focused on ESG, and therefore, you know, that, that also puts uh, 
pressure and the onus on the managers to make sure we have our policies in place. So unless there would be a fundamental change in the world, which I don't think there has been, it would be difficult to to really make a full about face. The way I like to think about it is I feel like the train has really left the station on this one. And while it may be slowed or temporarily sidelined because we deal with other issues, I think it'll ultimately continue. And I one one huge part uh, of this conflict is I think it's highlighted to everybody, you know, not only investors and finance people, but everybody in the world, just our dependence on oil and what that means for our contribution to the carbon footprint. So I almost think in some ways you could get people more focused on ESG once the acute impacts of this conflict pass. Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, Let's wrap it up there for today. But Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, make sure you check in next Thursday with my colleagues in London for the latest on European markets. Until next time, take care.